I mean, I just see victory all over some of you. I just, I just, I can't get over myself. Hey, listen, I'm ready for victory. I, after the season that we had in 2020 and, and all the stuff that we missed and got shut out from and got dislocated from, listen, I'm, I'm ready for victory. We serve a God of the victorious. I'm, I'm not dismissing. I'm not, uh, you know, that we took the proper precautions. I believe we did as best as we could through the season. But I'm over it, and I'm, I'm done with it, and we're going we're gonna to proceed as if it's not a concern because we've got people that, uh, that, that all over the place in their mindset, and that's fine. Uh, whatever, you know, whatever you, uh, spirit and mindset you adopt is, belongs to you, and, and I'm not going to try to talk you out of it, but like we're getting ready to have our first leadership meeting. I've, I've went back to planning uh, the year's calendar events, and I've got speakers coming in, and we've got a revival scheduled. And Yeah, we're going to get back to some sense of normalcy. It's time. Amen. Amen. I just see victory on it. I, I I've, been, I've been preaching it for a while, and I'm believing it more in my spirit that God doesn't waste any season. And if he, if he let, allows some things to be eliminated, it's because he's about to multiply something in another season. And I told you in January that I'm just claiming souls for the kingdom. After everything that we missed last year, I'm believing that souls are coming into the kingdom and the devil is going to regret he ever messed with the church because we're the church triumphant and full of glory. And we're going to see the victory. Amen. Go ahead. Give him a good hand clap of praise. And I will let you have your seat. Hallelujah. I apologize. I'm glad you're in the building because apparently Facebook's not cooperating today. So membership has its privileges and so does present attendance. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I know that uh, it's a blessing for us to be able to reach people. And sometimes people can't be here. But we have absolutely nothing to do with technology. Uh, those are people that make a whole lot more money than I do that are in charge of those kind of things. And apparently our Facebook page isn't working this morning. So uh, those of you that are here, you're an exclusive club right now. You, do you feel exclusive? You, you feel, yeah, you are the set-apart remnant this morning. You've got it going on. Amen. Um, I, I'm going to be preaching this morning. I'm the elder Mitchum. The younger preached last week. And yeah, go ahead. I... God's good. God is a restorer of the breach, and he brings all things to pass according to his will and his time. I, want to, I need to make a couple of announcements. The first one is, if you're one of the ticket holders, the blue tickets, uh, after service, please go over to the corral. If you don't know where the corral is, it's a second floor all the way to the left beside the nursery. You'll see a sign outside that says the corral. If you're one of the ticket holders, uh, you bought tickets to help with the playground renovation, they're going to be uh, giving that stuff away over there, so don't miss out as soon as service is over. Mosey that direction. Secondly, uh, there was a new member of Promise of Victory brought into the existence of creation yesterday. Little Ezra was born to Pastors Charity in Israel. All I've seen is pictures, but he is a handsome little fella. And we are tickled to death. She had a lot of complications, most of you know, uh, early in the pregnancy. Uh, lost a lot of weight. Was very, very sick. But he is healthy, and Mama is healthy, and everybody is doing well. So we rejoice with them. Praise the Lord. So I'm sure that they will appreciate your well wishes and your prayers, and that you will celebrate with them. Amen. 
So this morning, I'm going to get back into my series. I know last week we took a break for Pastor Appreciation Day. I'm back in my series beginning this morning, and I'm probably planning on uh, several more weeks of this. As a matter of fact, I've got a special service that I'll be talking about later planned for July, where I've got a couple of special speakers going to be coming in. And we're going to be, I think, in this series, maybe all the way up to that, because I have a lot of things I want to talk about and a lot of things that I want to explore with you. Last week, we began, or not last week, two weeks ago, we began exploring problems that us as believers seem to appreciate. We make excuses for these problems. It's easy for us to talk about drug addicts and drunks and, and people with sexual proclivities that we don't have. and It's easy for us to point out those kind of sins. But the sins and the problems that I'm going to be discussing over the next several weeks are the, are the problems that we have in our lives, but we kind of just overlook them. We almost deem them acceptable in the body of Christ. And those of us that have stopped drinking and we stopped cussing and we stopped going to parties, but we still got some stuff that we don't talk about. We got some stuff the preachers don't preach about because it'll offend too many folks in the, in the pews. And, we ne and because we never talk about it, we never really deal with it. And today we're going to look at one of those issues. Exodus chapter 14 is where I'm going to take my primary text, but I'm going to eventually uh, get over to the book of John and talk about a story that I have discussed uh, 17 different ways from Sunday, and today will be the 18th different way. Uh, Exodus chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord gave these, pay attention to that word, these instructions to Moses. I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to stop right here and just ask you if God has given us instructions, why are we always looking for another way? It, notice how simple this statement was. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses. But why is it we seem to always be trying to find another way in or another way out or another way to cope or another way to overcome when he has clearly defined his instructions? I mean, let's be honest. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice that thinks that you're smarter than God? Is there anybody in here brave enough to say, well, I, fig I figured out a way God didn't think of. He gives us instructions. And here's his instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pahalaroth, between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephron. Jump down to verse 5. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. Jump down to verse 9. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all of his horses and chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. The Egyptians called up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pi-Hatharoth across from Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, okay, stop right here. God gave them instructions, go and camp. 
And immediately the enemy attacks. Immediately after they got instruction from heaven, the enemy came in and tried to displace them from where the God of their journey told them to stay. I don't think it's an accident that as soon as God gives them an instruction, the enemy heats up his attack. Because when God tells you to stay, the enemy wants you to leave. When God tells you to leave, the enemy tries to get you to stay. You can rest assured that whatever voice you're hearing that is telling you to do the opposite of what God said, ain't God. So here's the enemy, and the Bible says in verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people do something. That sounds real spiritual. Something that sounds like the right thing to do. They looked up and panicked. When they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, and here's the spiritual part, they cried out to the Lord. Somebody say they prayed. Hmm? And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And I've said all of that to get to verse 15, and this is where I'm going to jump off and preach my sermon. And the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Can I give you a paraphrase to that? What are you doing praying about something I already told you? Why are you crying out? The people cried out. They panicked and they cried out. The Bible tells us over and over and over again. Go back and read the book of Psalms. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that when you are in fear, when you are in doubt, when you're in a bad way, when you don't understand your circumstances, you should cry out to God. Paul tells us in the New Testament, in all things with prayer and supplications, let your request be made unto God. We're told over and over again that God is the place to take our problems. Amen? We're told over and over again that God, that heaven wants to hear our cries of distress. And here's God chastising Moses and saying, Moses, why are you praying? Moses, why are you talking to me about this? Why are you crying out to me? See, believers like to sound so spiritual. We love to say things like, oh, I'm praying about what God wants me to do. Hey, can you work the nursery? I have to pray about that. Hey, we're, we're moving some stuff this weekend, and you've got big muscles. Can you come and help us? Well, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord if he would have us. It's getting quiet in this mortuary. It's going to be a long Sunday for you. I have to pray and ask God if he would want me to come and pick you up for church. <laughs> we love to sound spiritual, like we have a one-way line to heaven. And that we're just making our requests known to him all the time. I, I, I'm praying for God's will to be done in my life. But this is where I need to throw up a word of caution. Because there are times we seem to spiritualize when really what we're doing is being cowards. 
Prayer is a spiritual concept. Make no mistake about it. If you're telling somebody that you're praying about a thing, you should be praying about a thing, but you should never tell somebody you're praying about it just so you can sound pious. Mm. So in this passage, God asked Moses, why are you and all these people still praying? Now I will state clearly that it sounds strange to tell anybody to stop praying. So when God tells somebody, you've prayed long enough, obviously he's not telling them that you shouldn't pray because you should. But rather what he's saying is, are you praying when you should be doing something else? See, the only time you should tell somebody to stop praying is if they are substituting prayer for obedience. Prayer is what you do when you need to talk to God about what you cannot do. But there are times that you should stop praying so you can do what He put in your hands to get done. Uh, in short, prayer can never be used as a substitute for action. God told Moses to speak to the children of Israel and move forward. There is a time that we should stop prayer and move. There is a time that we have prayed about a thing long enough, we have put it in God's hands, and we have heard His instructions, and it's time for us to get off our face, get up off of our knees, put one foot in front of the other, and move. Now, you can find yourself in situations where you find no way out, and you don't see how you're going to be able to pull it off. And yes, you should pray, but there comes a time when you have to stop praying and go forward. You have to stay in the Word. You've got to be faithful to church. You've got to keep doing right, but you also have to keep moving forward. I've known people that have been still praying about a thing a decade later. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of prayers that haven't come to pass in my life, but I haven't stopped in, in, in 2009. I'm not still stuck back there where he gave me the promise. I'm not still standing still waiting on a promise to come because God doesn't instruct me to stand and pray. He tells me to move and pray. That I should be trusting him. And what do I need to trust him for if I ain't moved in 20 years? What is it exactly that I'm believing for if I haven't taken any chances or been bold or done anything in 20 years? I, I'm still stuck back there where I'm still praying about a thing. Well, I'm praying too, but I'm praying on the move. I'm praying as I cross the Red Sea. I'm praying and believe that Pharaoh's army ain't going to catch up with me. See, your dead ends that you see in front of you often appear just prior to your deliverance showing up. I want to tell somebody this morning that when you're standing at the Red Sea and it looks like a dead end, you have to realize that when God splits that bad boy, that your dead end turns into your deliverance highway and you need to be ready to walk and move. See, the problem is not that they were praying. The problem was that they were praying instead of obeying. When God says move forward, it's time to move. The point of this verse is not that they were praying too much because that's not possible. It's when you're praying at the wrong time. It's when you're praying when you should be moving. God was like, what did I tell you to do? You, parents. Jared's sitting here on the front row, so I'll talk, I'll talk about him. When Jared was a little boy, we realized that he had a lot of anxiety. And because of that, we had, to, we had to raise him differently than we raised Alyssa. 
And there was things that we would do to deal with his anxiety. And to be honest with you, it really wasn't to help him. It was so we didn't lose our mind. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest up here in front of you. See, see, Jared was the type of kid that if three weeks from now we were going on vacation, we couldn't tell him that we was going on vacation because every minute of every day for the next three weeks, are we really going? Is it something? It, when we get there, are we going to do this? We probably won't even go. It's going to, and his anxiety would cause him to, to, to doubt that we were even going to go. So what we would do was we would just pack his bags in a secret place, and, and, and we would put him in the car, and he'd think we were just going to church or something, and really we'd be going to Disney. And he didn't even know it until we was on our way because he would just bug us to death because his mind wouldn't let him stop and let him rest over that thing. It would just eat him up, and he would talk to us about it and talk to us about it and talk to us about it. And he would just keep rehearsing that thing over and over. So we got to the point where we just kept everything a secret until we was on our way there. Does anybody know what this, what this pre, uh, preacher, pastor, daddy is talking about? Mm -hmm. So God is like that with us. Are you sure, God, that you're going to take us to Disney? Oh, we probably won't even go. It's probably going to rain when we get there, and we won't even get to ride any. Jared had the spirit of Eeyore. His spirit animal was Eeyore when he was a little boy. And so he always automatically thought the worst possible scenario, so he wouldn't think, even though we told him we were going to go, we reassured him he would continue to ask the same questions over and over and over. Are we really going to go? I think God is a lot like me. I think that when God hears us asking all over again, all over again, the same thing all over again, he's like, what did I tell you? Haven't I already told you that this Pharaoh that is beating down your neck right now, if you will just obey me and walk across that Red Sea, you will never see this enemy again? I told you once, I've told you a million times. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes your kids, you love them, but you understand why some animals eat their firstborn? I mean, you understand, you love them. You love them. You brought them in this world. You give it. You give your life for them. But there are times you just want to. You wouldn't let nobody else choke them. But there's times. You know what I'm talking about. Well, God has a better love than we do, and I don't think God wants to kill any of them. But He has to sometimes look down with the same attitude I did because that's what He does to Moses here. He's like, "What did I tell you to do? I didn't tell you to worry." I didn't tell you to stress out. I didn't tell you to keep coming here asking me the same question. I know what you see happening to you. I know you see the Red Sea in front of you. I know you see Pharaoh's army behind you. I know you see Mount Horeb on your right. I know that on the left you see wilderness sand. But don't come to me and tell me that what you see is making you have amnesia. See, the problem with what we have is sometimes we hear what God says, but we let what we see happening in our life make us forget what we heard him say. And when we keep going to him in prayer, when we've already got instructions to move, he is saying, why are you letting what you see happen in your life make you have amnesia about what I already told you? I told you this thing was going to happen. It's not happening as fast as you want it to. It's not happening in the manner you wanted it to. It's not happening in the place you wanted it to. But stop doubting me and what I have told you because you don't see what you want to see. Now, everybody in here has done this. If you've been a Christian longer than 15 minutes, you, you, you will re resonate with this. We've all told somebody we was going to pray about something and forgot. 
Oh, Danny, honest, me and you, that we're the only ones. All the rest of these phony bullets. Either they are so Holy Ghost filled that we need us to, they need to pray for us or they phony. Because I've been a Christian a long time. been preaching this gospel for a long time. And I'm standing right here in this pulpit on Sunday morning telling you that I have looked people in the eye and said, I will pray for you. I have looked at people and said, I will help you pray about that. And I meant it when I said it. And then I forgot it. That's not what happened here. All of us know what that's like. But there's also been times where I have used prayer as an excuse. I have used prayer as an excuse to not do what I know He wants me to do. Stuff I don't want to do. Hard stuff. Embarrassing stuff. I know he has instructed me that I should say I'm sorry, but it's embarrassing to say I'm sorry, so I'm still in a corner saying I'm praying about how I... I know I'm not supposed to talk to my wife like that. I know I'm not supposed to treat my kids like that. I know I ain't supposed to be over in the corner gossiping about my boss like everybody else, but I don't want to feel out of place, and I don't want to do the hard thing, which is say I'm sorry. I don't want to do the embarrassing thing, which is be upright and eschew evil. No, no, no. I want to get over in the corner and say, well, I'm praying about how God wants me to approach this. You don't have to approach it no way, no how. You just got to say, I'm sorry. But sometimes we use prayer as an excuse to not do the hard things. So I say I'm praying about it when I'm not wanting to be about it. The same thing happens when folks blame other people for their problems. But they're not willing to do a thing about their situation. Woo. You reap exactly what you sow. I'm going to say it again. You do not reap anything that you have not sown something of that very thing. You will never, it defies the laws of nature for you to put corn in the ground and get tomatoes. And it defies the law of nature for you, Christian, to try to sow something differently than you want to reap. Let me put it to you like this. You need a financial blessing. So you start praying about it. Can I tell you? Prayer is not the seed for money. The Bible says money is the seed for money. You don't, you don't like the fact that you live alone, that you, nobody talks to you, that you ain't got no friends. So you keep praying about friends, but you mean as a junkyard dog. When you walk into the room, all the air leaves the place. You talk so much when, pe when you walk out of the room, people have to bend over and catch their breath from the sheer amount of words that fell out of your face when you were... And you say, I'm praying about being a friend, but you've never been a friend. You're not there for them when they need you, but you expect them to be there for you when you need them. Somebody better say amen. I have people that used to come to me for marriage counseling. Not so much anymore because I'm too honest. They want to come to me and say, I'm praying about my marriage. What do you mean you're praying about your marriage? You won't even sit beside each other in the pew. 
You don't like one another. You're praying about something because you don't want to do the hard work of sucking it up and saying, I've been wrong. You don't want to apologize. You don't want to do that. You don't want to get up out of bed and be sweet and go and make somebody a breakfast. No, 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 no. He don't deserve that. She would get spoiled if I did that. You're broke, mister. You are broke, ma'am. You've got problems and issues, and you're blaming everybody else, and you want to do nothing about the situation, so you use prayer as an excuse. So let's get tough this morning. You say, Pastor, you have you already? No, nope, not yet. I want to get tough this morning and ask a simple question. Is there anything in your life that you would like to change? And it's been with you for a long time and dogged you out. And up to this point, you haven't done anything about it. Is there something that you would love in your life to see turn around but you have convinced yourself, maybe secretly, this is the way it's always been, and it's just always going to be this way. Don't raise your hands, but let's get tough and answer these questions. Maybe it's your spiritual life. Something like your faith. Is your faith on a level that you'd like it to be? Do, do, you, do you struggle to find hope? Because the older you've got, your kids don't call no more, and nobody at church really talks to you, and, and you go to the store alone, and you eat alone, and you have all this lonely issues, and you have a hard time finding hope. Are you one of these people that backslides every other Sunday? Are you walking on a razor's edge? You can fall off either side. You love Jesus, but you still want to slap the taste out of folks' mouths on a daily basis. Where you walk on a razor's edge where one wrong comment or one dirty look, one perceived slight can make you blow a gasket. How about your emotional life? Is your emotional life where you'd like it to be? Are you always stressed out? You always believe in nobody understands me. People, are people always telling you, calm down? Maybe, they, maybe you'd like to change that. How about your relationships? Is there anybody here who'd like to change your relationships? Maybe, maybe it's not that people don't like you, but are you a control freak? When you do find a friend, do you smother them? You know, when, when people uh, say, hey, let's go have lunch, do you contact them every 27 seconds to confirm that you're going to have lunch and then all of a sudden they feel like you're stalking them? Do you want friends, but you're, you have the personality of sandpaper? Do you wish you had friends, but all the friends that you seem to choose are people who pull you away from God, not toward God? Are you the kind of person that is so insecure, you're always inventing problems that don't really exist? Or maybe you're trying to make friends, but you have trust issues. How about your physical life? Is your physical health where you'd like it to be? Are you sporting the bod that you wish you had? Hear me, church. If you're one of these people that always has a chronic something that is always wrong with you, there's always something hurting, there's always something nagging, there's always a sickness, 
There's always something there to remind you of how weak you are. Would you like to change that? Listen, listen, listen. If you want to change something, you can't just pray about it. I am going to tell you to pray about it, but you can't just pray about it. You can't pray about diabetes and eat donut. I tried it. It won't work. If I couldn't get it through to heaven, you won't either. I couldn't pray about weight loss while I was eating Gus's by the dozens. Doesn't work that way. Had to do something about it. How about your marriage life? If your marriage where you'd like it to be, how about your mental life? Is your mind always fixed on things above? Are you always forgetting the things that are behind and moving toward the mark of the prize? Are you always having the mind of Christ? Or are you always cynical? Are you always negative? Are you always expecting everybody to let you down? If these are areas that you would like to do something about and you'd like to change, However, you have battled them for so long and heard so many sermons on them, you don't even think it's possible anymore. I want you to go with me over to John chapter 5. And I don't have time to read the story. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. But I have preached this story so many times, I think I'm good. I'm not going to check myself through the scriptures, but I have preached it so many times and taught it so many times, I feel like I've got to know this brother intimately. If you jump over to John's gospel chapter 5, the Holy Ghost will teach us something. There is a brother who is in a bad condition and his situation has not changed and we know it hasn't changed for at least 38 years. During the Feast of Pentecost, Jesus comes to Jerusalem. Somebody say Jerusalem. Okay, hold on. That would be important in a minute. Inside the city, there was a pool named Bethesda. Somebody say Bethesda. So in Jerusalem, there is a pool named Bethesda. And every so often... The weirdest thing would happen to this pool. Every so often, the water of this pool would stir by an angel. And the first person who got in the water got healed. That's amazing, right? However, I've taught this sermon or this, this story many times, and it is a well known fact for those that have been with me for a long time. I have theological disagreements with this pool. I have issues with this story, how it begins. For one, there are crowds of sick folk. And they're all waiting around the same pool. There's blind, the Bible says. There's lame. There's paralyzed. And they're all laying around this pool waiting for the signal to get into the water. That means the first person who gets to the water gets healed. Which means the best person for that is the person who is least sick. The sicker you are, the harder it is going to be for you to be the first one in the pool. Which means the least needed is the best option. The person who needs it the most is the least likely to get it. I have a problem with that. God can do better than that system. Think about it. A guy who is blind, even though he's blind, blind is bad. 
But if you're blind, you're not crippled. And you can beat a crippled guy in a foot race. If somebody would just point you in the right direction, you can find water. So there is a theological problem I have with this. The second problem I have is that only one person every season could get healed. That is terribly inefficient. That's where we meet this brother. He's been sitting there for 38 years, waiting but never receiving. Waiting for a healing that never came. 38 years is a long time. 38 years of expectations that have been met with letdowns. And when we do not know what drew Jesus to this brother, we don't know what started this conversation, why Jesus, out of all the sick people around this pool, he picks out one guy. And he nonchalantly comes over and asked him a question that if anybody else would have asked this question, we would have all read it and said, well, that was a stupid question. Because Jesus nonchalantly approaches this brother and says, would you like to be made whole? Now let's get real. If you would have read that and it said Peter asked, you'd said, that's Peter being Peter. <laughs> that was a stupid question, Peter. Of course he wants to be made whole. He's been hanging around this pool for 38 years. Nobody is going to be sitting there waiting for the water to get stirred that long if they don't want to get whole. But I want to show you something this morning. In this series, I have been challenging you to approach your Christian walk with the attitude that I am better than this. After 38 years of him being crippled and receiving no healing, it's going to take a minute for him to process that he is anything except a cripple. Listen, if you live in 38 years in misery and your husband turns on a switch and turns into the sweetest guy you've ever known, it'll take you a minute to process that you are no longer married to the raging bull. You can't just flip the same switch they flip. This brother has been waiting for a healing for 38 years, and Jesus comes to him and asks him, do you want to be made whole? Notice what Jesus didn't ask him. He didn't say, do you want your legs healed? He didn't say, do you ever want to walk again? He said, do you want to be made whole? See, Jesus came to, be, to, to make people whole, not healed. And what we're going to soon discover is that his physical condition was only part of his problem. Now, now I need to remind you at this point that Jesus changes things that you don't think he can change. As I get ready, I'm going to start preaching in a minute. I have, all this has been my introduction. Get ready for the sermon. Jesus changes things that you have become comfortable with. Jesus comes in and starts changing stuff that you don't see a way that they could ever change. Things that have haunted you for 38 years will bow down at the feet of Jesus. For 38 years, there has been no change in this brother's condition. And may I point out to you that he needed change, but need is not the only thing that it takes to be healed. You have to 
want it to. Listen to the challenge that Jesus throws down at this brother. He says, do you want to be made whole? He didn't say, do you want healing? It was obvious he wanted healing. He's been there for 38 years. It's obvious you like Jesus, you keep showing up on Sunday. It's obvious that you want to be married, you haven't filed divorce yet. It's obvious that you want to be healed because you keep coming up to the altar. But want is not going to get it done. You, or you, the, the prayer is not going to get it done. You're, needing it is not going to get it done. You're going to have to want it bad enough to do something about it. You have to get into a place in your life where you decide, I am better than this. Where I am is not where I want to be. Your mama been trying to tell you that for years. Your BFF has been trying to get you to believe it. Your kids have been making you mother of the year cards over in children's church. But none of that will ever matter until you decide, I am better than this. I'm better than the decisions I've been making. I'm better than the choices that I've got. I'm better than the hell I went through. I am better than this, and I want to do something different. I can't challenge you from the pulpit and make you change. I can give you word. Your friends can give you encouragement. I can give you a space to pray. But prayer alone will not make your life any different. You have to want it. Jesus said, I know you've been hanging out around the pool, but do you want it? I know you've been hanging out where the healing takes place. Been there 38 years. But do you want it? Now this place was called, I told you to remember this, Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. It was located, where did I tell you? Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the city of peace. On the, near, this, near this pond, near Bethesda, there were five porches. Five is the number in the Bible of grace. So let me break this down for you uh, numerically. Jesus is in the city of peace at the house of mercy, standing on one of the grace porches. And this brother has an unchangeable problem. So what I read when I read this story is that if you are willing to bring your unchangeables to the place of peace, you will find Jesus there offering you grace and mercy. But you got to be willing to bring your unchangeables to the place of peace. Or you can do what you've always done, absolutely nothing. You can stand over in the corner and cry and hope somebody notices your tears and say, I've been praying about this for a long time. But until you bring that thing down to the place of healing, I didn't come here this morning to beat you up or to criticize you, but I've come to tell you that when you come to promise of victory, you've come into a place of peace. Jesus is here. He has a handful of grace and a handful of mercy, but as long as as you keep your problem in your hand and do nothing about it and just claim you are praying, you're going to take it home with you every Sunday like you drug it in.
You have to bring it to a place of peace and expect Him to heal it. Notice this brother did not ask Jesus for help. Notice he didn't come to Jesus and say, Help! He didn't demonstrate any kind of faith. Jesus stepped to him. Uh-oh. Jesus confronted him with a need to change. Uh, it's going to get quiet again. Because some of us sitting here this morning, some of the people watching by live stream, just living with stuff in our life. We know what the Word says, but we're just living with it. We know we ain't supposed to feel this way. We know we're not supposed to do that. We know we're not supposed to be over here. We know we're not supposed to be participating, but we're just living with it. Living with stuff that we hope the preacher don't find out about, but not doing a thing about it. So, Pastor, what's the formula then? When do we get to the part in this story where you show us how to fix it? Well, that's the sad part. There isn't one. That's what a lot of people want today. 21 steps to survive your marriage. Six ways to lose weight and have your complexion glow. We're always wanting for somebody to take us by the hand and show us how to just stroll into victory. Well, this isn't one of those words. Because Jesus got in this brother's face. He got all up in his business and said, Do you want this? Do you hear how quiet it got? That tells me that some of you are resonating with this. He said, I know you come to church every Sunday, but do you want it? I know you quote scripture and you share people's sermons on Facebook, but do you? want this I know I know that you are always telling everybody how good God is and you got the promise of victory gear and I know that when you go on Facebook you're always telling people uh, that that God is good and, and God and all the time and God and all the time God I know you're doing all that but do you want it because showing up for church and praying and raising your hands all that has its place but none of it brings healing and wholeness until you want it. What I notice about this is Jesus never looked at this brother and said, How did you end up like this? Listen, he doesn't seem to care why he was a cripple. We don't know if his brother was 38 years old or if he was 138 years old. Maybe he walked at one time. Jesus wasn't concerned about it. He didn't care how he ended up in his condition. He doesn't diagnose this problem. You know what we like to do today? We like to turn church into the Maury Povich show. Not Jerry Stringer, uh, Springer. That's too, that's too radical. We want, a, we, want a, we want a Dr. Phil kind of environment and relationship with Jesus. Jesus isn't Dr. Phil. Jesus gets up in your face. He says, I hear what you're saying, but... What you're doing and what you're saying don't line up. Do you want it? I know you claim to want it. I know that you think that you have a desire, but do you really want to be made whole? Because when you really want it, you're willing to do something about it. You're willing to make a change. You're willing to say, I'm better than this. 
And I've got way too many people in my world that want to use where they've been as an excuse for where they are. And let me just tell you right now that Jesus took that example away because Jesus didn't ask this brother, how did you end up here? How did you get crippled? What happened to you? He does not go into Dr. Phil mode and diagnose the problem. He didn't say, oh, maybe it was, maybe you got fouled up because your mother used poor potty training techniques. Or, or I, I know you had a tough life. This is what we're doing today. We're turning everybody into victims. We're turning everyone into a victim of something that happened to them which made them who they are right now. So Jesus Jesus took that excuse away because he said he didn't say I know you've had a tough life and we're just going to have to learn to accept your pain. No! He looked him right in the eye he squared his shoulders and he unapologetically said do you want this? Are you ready to make a change? Or are you just going to stand there and say you're praying about it and do nothing? Are you ready to do something different? Do you want to be made whole? And immediately this fellow starts making excuses. He says, nobody will help me. All them fast running blind folks get there first. Somebody always gets theirs before I get mine. Don't you... Oh, what, what, I hear the spirit of the age talking through this, brother. Don't you see, this isn't my fault. I'm being held back. I'm the way I am because of the way people treat me. The internet has turned people I know into genius and experts on everything. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but my friends list, People I've known since high school. They barely passed 10th grade biology. But they have become experts on viruses and vaccines. Listen, these people that have got a, a Google PhD, they are intelligent. If you listen to them, people don't know. Listen, these are the same people that go to Walmart and they don't know if they got any money in their bank account until they put the chip in the chip reader. And when it says accepted, they go, thank you, Jesus. And even though they don't know how to balance their own checkbook, they are an expert on how the United States government should be run and how they should spend all their money. It's amazing. The, a popular opinion with these Ph.D. from Google University is this. Well, all these people on drugs could just break those habits if they tried they need a strong will and it's easy for you to say that when that's not your issue so let me break that down for you on a very basic level if all they need to get off drugs is a strong will won't you tell us why you haven't kicked any of your habits yet how come you still got that gossipy nitpicky judgmental attitude and you ain't broke that in all these years. Why ain't you got that donut habit kicked yet, huh? How come you are still spending money you don't have on stuff you don't need after all these years? As a matter of fact, all you need is a strong will. The issues that you have always seem differently than the issues that somebody else has. But what I learned from Jesus and his brother is, do you know why he doesn't ask him how he ended up crippled? 
Because he wanted him and us to know that once Jesus shows up, none of that stuff matters anymore. The only time our past matters is when we are ignoring who is standing right in front of us, offering us wholeness. The only time your past matters is if you're ignoring Jesus when he's standing in front of you. What this brother doesn't know is that he thought he was sitting next to a miracle for 38 years, but right now was his miracle moment, not because of where he'd been in the past, but who was standing in front of him. See, Jesus does something completely radical. He ignored this guy's excuses and he gives him a word. He ignored his excuses and gave him a word. He ignores his excuses and gave him a word. John 5 and 8, he gives him a word. And here's what he says. He says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Boy, don't that sound a whole lot like what God told Moses to do? He says, why are you still standing here crying out to me? Didn't I tell you to move? What are you doing still praying about the same stuff? I've told you what to do. My instructions don't change because you cry a bunch of tears. My instructions don't change because you think it's too hard. My instructions don't change because nobody else wants you to do it. I told you what to do. Get up. Jesus said, do you want to make a change in your life? Because you've been laying here for a long time. I know you've been here for a long time. I know that your testimony is yes. But I want to know because I'm about to challenge you. I'm about to challenge you with the Word. I'm about to ignore your excuses and put the Word of God in front of your face. If you really want to change, we're about to find out. If you really want to be made whole, you're about to find out because I'm going to tell you to do three things. Number one, get up. Get up. That is something that this brother hadn't been able to do in 38 years. He just challenged him to do the impossible. He says, do you, want, do you want joy? You keep coming to church saying you want joy, but you're still mad at your ex-husband who divorced you in 1976. Jesus said, if you really want joy, get up. I know you ain't been able to get rid of it up to this point, but I'm standing in front of you with grace and mercy in the city of peace, and I'm ready to do something for you. If you're ready to change, it's time for you to let that mess go and get up. Get up. Do the impossible and stand up. Next thing he says, take up your mat, your bed. You've been laying on it for 38 years. Keep coming to the altar, jumping back in the bed. Coming up, getting hands laid on you, jumping back in the bed. He says, roll that thing up. Take away your excuses. There's no place for you to go back to. Stop relapsing. If you want it, get it and quit going backwards. Keep coming up to the altar and jumping back in that bed. He says, roll that thing up. It's time for you to roll the past up to get ready to go somewhere. And last but not least, walk. It's time to move. I'm better than this. If you mess around and get a word from God, you'll soon run out of excuses for staying the way you are. You're going to be challenged to move, to walk. You get a word, you won't care who's helping you. Can I get personal with you for a minute? Some of you have to stop expecting anybody else to carry you. That season is over. 
some of you won't do anything because you keep waiting for somebody else to come along and help you. And God says, I'm all the help you need. I'm standing in front of you. Do you want to be whole? We're good at making excuses. Jesus ignores all the excuses and gives them a word. It's good that you pray, but you pray about stuff you know better. Listen, I ain't got to pray. I shouldn't be standing up here praying, God, do you want me to treat my wife right? Or do you want me to cheat on her today? I don't have to stand up here and pray, hey, would y'all help me pray? I'm trying to determine whether it's God's will for me not to beat my kids. I'm trying to pray and ask God if he wants me to pay my taxes this year or make up a bunch of lies. See how foolish that sounds? We do the same thing when we know what we're supposed to be doing. But we just keep telling people, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. Jesus said enough of them excuses. I love Jesus. He's so confrontational. We act like Jesus was there. We always see these pictures of Jesus holding that little lamb with a kid on his knee. And we're like, oh, Jesus is so sweet. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He got all up in people's business. He got right up in his brother's face and said, hey, do you want to be whole? How bad do you want it? I can imagine that brother looking around saying, well, where do you think I've been laying for 38 years? But he didn't even pay. Jesus paid no attention to his excuses. Do you want it? Because I'm about to challenge you with the word. I'll know in about 30 seconds if you want it. Get up. If you're still laying here, I'm going to turn around. And by the time I turn back around, I'll know if you really want it. Because if you're still laying there with your excuses, you can lay in that bed with your excuses if you want to. But stop coming to the altar and lying to God that you want something different. Jesus said, get up. Roll that bed up because you ain't going to need that no more. That's been your plan B. That's been your fallback. That, that, that's been your good time. That's been your, in case this Jesus thing don't work out. That's been that plan. But you're not going back to that anymore. You're not relapsing anymore. Roll it up. You won't need it. Because if you really want it, stop, stop asking church folks to feel sorry for you. Stop getting your prayer partners to gather around you and beg God to do something that you don't want bad enough to get up for. Get up, roll your bed up, and walk. Put one foot in front of the other and walk this thing out. I'm not going to drag this out. I've preached long enough. I've been up for 52 minutes. Every person in this room, let's do those three things if this applies to you. Number one, if this applies to you, I know, I know, I know I'm about to get bold as a lion. You know me. I ain't scared of me and the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of none of you. If this applies to you and you've been rolling around with this thing for too long, 38 years I've been asking God to take it away. Yeah, but do you want it? Do you want it? I'm about to find out if you want it. I'm about to find out. Boy, I'm about to say something. I'm about to challenge you to do something about it or don't you dare ever hit me up on Messenger again to help you pray about it. 
If this is you, and you're ready to make a change in your life, emotionally, spiritually, relationships, your marriage, your mind, whatever it is, you're ready to make a change, get up. Get up. Every person trying to make a change in your life, I want you to close your eyes. Don't look at me. Don't look around. Close your eyes because right now, mentally, you're rolling up that bed. Right now, right now, make up your heart and your mind. I'm rolling that bed up right now. I'm not going back. Holy Ghost, you give me the strength. And I'm never going back. You give me the strength, Holy Spirit, and I'm never going back. I'm rolling that bed up right now. I'm taking every excuse. I need this. I want this. Needing it is not enough. Praying about it is not enough. I want this. I want this. And I want it now. Devil, I'm putting you on notice this morning. I want my comeuppance, and I'm getting it this morning. Every person, I want it. I want it. Now walk. Some of you need to walk up to this altar. Some of you just need to take a step out in the aisle. Some of you can't get up to the altar, but you need to take one step forward just as a symbolic gesture. I'm walking. I'm, I'm leaving the past and I'm coming to Jesus. I'm going to get whole. I'm getting whole this morning. If anybody's come to this altar, if I get my prayer team, if I get my Stephen ministers maybe to come up and help folk pray, I feel like this is a breakthrough moment for some folks. If I get the staff, I feel like this is a breakthrough moment for some people. I'm walking. You see me walking? This is the last time I take a trip for this I'm, ne- I'm not coming back for this. I might come back for something else, but I'm done with this. I've laid by this pool all I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I want this. Can you profess that this morning? All of you that's standing back there, can you, can you say that? I want this. Because Jesus is standing right in your face asking you. I see that you're in church on Sunday, but do you want it? I know you're coming up to the altar from time to time, but do you want it? Enough excuses. I'm better than this. I'm better than this.